Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We believe well-designed employee benefit plans enhance people's lives. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and fashionable business partner, Al McDonald. Al, what do you say? First signs of spring are here. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's the first time uh, in a long time I've been called fashionable. So I appreciate that, Robin. And yes, looking forward to the weekend. It's supposed to be a great weekend with some nice spring weather. So so that'll be great. Can't wait to get out there. I'm sure you're going to get out there on your bike. So uh, I imagine I'll, I'll see a few of your counterparts out this weekend. Yes, that is the plan. I am pleased today to be introducing our guest. Joining us today is Janet Morrison. Dr. Janet Morrison was named President and Vice Chancellor of Sheridan College in June of 2018, prior to which she held the position of Provost and Vice President Academic at Sheridan for two years. Before arriving at Sheridan, Janet spent 17 years at York University working in various roles focused on learning, discovery, and engagement most recently serving as Vice Provost of Students. Janet has also held leadership positions in student affairs and taught at University of Guelph, Bowling Green State University, Medical College of Ohio, and George Brown College. Having worked in the post-secondary sector for over 25 years, Janet remains passionate about student success and community engagement. She served as a staff representative on York's Board of Governors and in 2010 was awarded York University's President's Leadership Award. An active volunteer, Janet is the former chair of the Board of Trustees at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital and previously chaired the Board of Directors for the Children's Aid Society of Toronto. She was appointed to the Federal Advisory Committee to prevent and address gender-based violence at post-secondary institutions, is co-chair of the Colleges and Institutes Canada, CICAN, working group, tasked with the development of a national standard on psychological health and safety for post-secondary students, and sits on the CICAN Impact Advisory Committee, which is focused on advising the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And after reading all of that, I wonder what I've been doing for the last number of years, because uh, Robin, if you and I put our resume together, uh, it wouldn't even come close to matching up to that. So I was about to say, I used to feel accomplished until uh, Janet showed up. So thanks for that, Janet. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for making us feel insignificant. (laughs) Anyway, I I think it's safe to say that Sheridan has long been recognized in the post-secondary field of education and certainly is able to produce a a deep talent pool of people that that come out of it. Uh, So welcome to the show, Janet. We we look forward to discussing uh, a number of issues today. Well, you know what? So thank you very much. It's so awkward to have people introduce you as you're standing by. And that laundry list makes me a little tired too. I, I will note I'm not 20 anymore. And so uh, <laughs> so you had a bit of runway to work with there. So, but I'm, you know what? I'm really excited and thrilled to be here. And I really appreciate you noting what I think is most exceptional about Sheridan. And that's the quality of our graduates, which are really a reflection of our faculty and our staff. 
Yeah, well, that's great. I want to jump right into the questions. Obviously, the pandemic has had a major impact on every organization. So I know you're going to talk a little bit about that. One of the things that we we wanted to talk to you about that really stood out was that Sheridan was named on uh, the Forbes list as the 14th best employer in Canada. So obviously, during the pandemic, despite the challenges, you obviously were able to address some of those. And can you talk a little bit about how you did it and what your strategy was? Well, yeah, so this is a huge point of pride for, I think, every leader, every employer at Sheridan, a big deal to have done this in the face of of the pandemic. But employee engagement's been a priority of ours for years, certainly since I joined Sheridan about four years ago. The key to all of that in the midst of an unprecedented crisis was really keeping people motivated and connected and engaged while they were working in very different ways over very different mediums. And we we can talk about what some of those explicit and implicit challenges were, but, you know, really for us, we focused early on principles, the framework per se about how we were going to make decisions. And first and foremost uh, was the physical health and, and holistic well-being of our entire learning community. We really wanted learners to finish their terms. Uh, everybody remembers about 13 months ago when the crisis hits and, and the imperative to pivot quickly was non-negotiable and, and involves all kinds of unknowns and unprecedented territory. But we really, really wanted learners to be able to finish. So there was some galvanizing that happened around that objective. We made a commitment from the start that we would navigate the response together as a learning community and happy to talk about what that meant, but it translated in communications such that we were transparent, we were as open as we could be and engaged with our community in all kinds of different ways to make sure we were moving forward communally. The economic sustainability of Sheridan was important and we've been, again, very transparent about our budget and the challenges that we're facing Uh, But we also told folks we were going to stay riveted to what our long-term priorities are. And I think in a nutshell, uh, that's really translated to employee engagement, which will continue to position Sheridan as an employer of choice. Again, our our people are our most valuable resource and their work is really reflected in our graduates and our relationships with employers and our brand, our reputation. Janet, I think you touched on a really important point there in, in terms of communication in my world. You know, I, I've been since 1996, I've been walking into companies, uh, not so much this year. I'm not walking in. I'm walking in virtually, of course. Yeah. But over the years, I've been able to walk around and go into so many companies. And of course, everyone has a different culture. Yeah. And I've walked into companies where the benefits plan is fantastic. It's the richest plan you've ever seen. And then you start realizing the corporate culture isn't that great. And then I've walked into, on the opposite side, I've walked into companies with a very basic plan, but they have a fantastic corporate culture. And in the beginning, I couldn't figure out what that was. And over time, through many, many, many conversations, you figured out it was how those plans were communicated along the way. So that plan that was still pretty basic was obviously communicated in the beginning in the middle and at the end very well. So people felt really good about it. So I think it's interesting that you're commenting on, hey, we were going to be transparent and we were going to communicate this the whole way along. Yes, we're in a challenge, but we're in a challenge together. And how are we going to navigate that challenge? And I think it's going to be inspiring to our audience to hear that even with all these challenges, you were still saying, we still have these goals and maybe we don't know how to get there, but we're going to navigate it together. And you kept everyone in the loop along the way. And I think that's a big part of that success that you've had. 
Thank you. I hope so. You know what, for me, so key to this is having uh, the right people in the right places and listening. I do pride myself on listening. And it's gotten so much harder, honestly, in the last 13 months, but listening to students, which gets harder and harder, the further away you get from a classroom. When I was in a classroom every day, uh, whether I liked it or not, I knew what was happening with students. So I've had to really find, uh, particularly over the last 13 years, but as my jobs have changed, you have to find ways of staying attuned to what your community needs. And I think that that primes you to sift and sort what's most important. I think telling the truth is really important. Integrity, authenticity is really important. We do a lot of work to tell the truth and then substantiate it with examples of our actions, both past and future. In my community, uh, in post-secondary education, people like to use big, complicated words. I think straightforward language has power and it's accessible. And so we've learned a lot about translating what was working for us in a face-to-face -face environment into the virtual world. I think expressing hope and always, always empathy. I've never, ever hid from the impact of the pandemic. It has been devastating for many of our students, for our faculty, for our staff. But I think there are always opportunities to see and express and capitalize on hope. And so we've tried to balance all of that, which I have to say is exhausting. Like I, if somebody had asked me a year ago, what's the most important thing on the CEO's desk? Uh, you know, I did a, a consult today for another senior leader in one of the regions we support. And I know it's a moment in time, but right now, it doesn't matter, honestly, to your point, how creative you are, how innovative you are, how entrepreneurial you are, how well-connected you are. If you can't translate that into a compelling narrative that captivates and engages people internal and external to your organization, I'm not sure that it's of any value. And people are tired and none of us listen as well when we're tired. And so finding the right language, the right opportunity, the right mediums has, has really been crucial to us over the course of the last 13 months. Okay, so let's let's expand on that because you bring up some very good points. How did Sheridan keep people motivated, connected, and engaged, especially while working remotely? Yeah, so at some point we should talk about what that pivot looked like because for us, you know, we had five days. So I, I actually think Sheridan is an incredibly adaptive, flexible, responsive organization, but moving online over a period of five days, like our total enrollment is about 45,000, if you include wow. uh, full and part-time students. And so the pivot, and there's some great examples of how exceptionally well my colleagues did this, but the immediate term, while you're worrying about your kids and potentially your parents and having extreme anxiety, remember in those early days, like none of us really knew what the recipe to keep yourself or the people you loved safe was. So, so those early days were, were very difficult. And certainly our commitment to maintaining access, which got more complicated online, and to community mental health and well-being, which uh, really became the parallel crisis for our industry. I'm just so conscious, like nothing happens in a vacuum. There was tons of stuff happening in the professional space, but for every single one of our 3,000 plus employees, they had a home life, their priorities uh, that were similarly upended. So we started, as I said, from this list of principles so that everybody was on the same page. It didn't mean we always agreed. No learning community always agrees on anything. This is a, a point always to start from at colleges and universities. But we did very clearly, right from the start, focus on communication, on transparency, on empathy, and then we were really conscious and open, overt about living our values. Uh, so very, very early on, Sheridan donated unused PPE from our shuttered healthcare centers to local hospitals. 
We used our 3D printing facility to produce face shields that we donated to local hospitals and long-term care centers. We distributed over $2 million in emergency student financial aid about three weeks before the federal CERB was available for students and students were desperate, like housing insecurity, food insecurity, just ramped up almost immediately because they're part-time employment. So the average post-secondary student in Ontario works over 26 hours a week and that notion of part-time employment and that got sucked away without much warning. We immediately rallied folks and made 12,000 proactive reach out calls to students. And that was good for students, but it was also good for employees to make sure that they had a point of contact with the community that we serve. We loaned out laptops, we made special arrangements on access to the internet. I do think that in those early days, and this is a lot like my experience with volunteering, you typically get more than you give. And in this instance, the opportunity to, again, really live Sheridan's values in this moment of crisis, I think actually, you know, cemented the community's shared purpose and gave us some strength and perseverance for the months ahead, which were rife with challenge. That challenge continues. One of the things we're talking about here is engagement and and especially during a really challenging time. And a big part of our listenership is other CEOs, people, business leaders, people running companies. So what's one insight you can give them? I mean, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago I shared with Al and the title was the number one KPI in 2021 is going to be engagement employee engagement. Any insights around how to do that? Because I think a lot of people are struggling, especially with working from home now. How do I create that engagement that we had when we had the kitchen or the water cooler, or or we had the ping pong table that we don't have anymore? So how do you go about doing that? Yeah, well, so this is the zillion dollar question. So the first thing is, you know, eat your Wheaties or your protein, depending on where you're coming from, because this last year, has been taxing and tiring in an entirely different way. And I have valued and I've had a couple of opportunities to engage with senior leaders in our catchment communities. I think we have found a shared experience in the exhaustion that comes from being the champion. And that's always been my job. And frankly, given the community I serve, it's easy to celebrate and trumpet our students, our faculty and our staff. But that role has taken on an urgency and has demanded a level of energy that in my experience just wasn't necessary a couple of years ago. And I have to do that while I'm raising teenagers and I'm managing a dog and the dog is barking and the Amazon guy's at the front door. And so I was, I was doing some media last night and you know, the 150 pound great Dane is behind me. He knocks over the backdrop, the light comes flying down <laughs> and, you know, I'm on with federal MPs and trying to advocate for students and their well being and their need for support. And you're like, just a minute. I just have to step away for a second to resurrect my office. And I think some people may operate under the illusion that the realities they're facing every day. You know, I have employees who are working in bathrooms at home because it's the only quiet space in their house. They've got kids at home. They're living in multi-generational households. My choice is to be transparent and to use that to cultivate empathy across the board to say, we're all in this together But the challenges of leading right now, there's not an hour, maybe not even a minute in the day when I'm not conscious that I'm accountable, not just for 3,000 plus employees, but for 3,000 families, for their mortgages, for the food that goes on their table. And I don't do that alone. And I have great support from a board and a senior leader team. But these are very difficult times. And the length of this I'm quite convinced there's going to be long term consequences for all of us. And I don't know, as a researcher, 
in human space, I think it's going to be years before we figure out the full scope of it. I do think for us, access has been a very big deal. Like, you know, there were students who relied still on computer labs, so they had no hardware. And you'll remember early days, there was no access to laptops. And we were procuring from all over the place uh, laptops, software. We had faculty members with all the best of intentions. Some of our more skilled, technically, faculty members were using software for their teaching that was brilliant, but required students to have access to internet capacity that in the North, or for some of our international students who were learning from their country of origin, it wasn't working, or they were behind a firewall that wasn't allowing them to access material. We forget about internet access. Not everybody has reliable internet access and time zones. Like if you're studying from India, we're all excited about a combination of synchronous and asynchronous teaching. Well, you might be up at three o'clock in the morning to do your math class. And so those things were a real challenge. Community mental health and well-being across the board, students, faculty, staff, you know, I spoke to this, but the isolation that people experienced, food security, housing security, the anxiety, the depression, the genuine fear for yourself and the people that you love. This has really demanded, I think, a level of compassion. Again, community, I keep coming back to community and empathy, but these things are, are difficult to cultivate in a crisis. Do you know what I mean? Like if you, you have to have some sense of that. And I was so grateful that Sheridan is genuinely a kind, caring, student-centered environment. We just needed to unearth that, unleash it, and amplify it, even while everybody else was struggling. And I think we found some keys to that, but I'm, I'm also pretty clear we're not out of it yet, sadly. Yeah. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you. I'm quite fascinated by everything you must have had to deal with in such a short period of time. And the fact that you're able to deal with that and, and move forward is impressive, and but also Honestly, it's overwhelming to me and I didn't have to live through it like you did. So (laughs) I do want to pivot if I can a little bit because you're obviously a leader at at Sheridan. I want to get your opinion on post-secondary education. Is it right for disruption? And and what kind of things are you seeing for Sheridan that they need to do that you need to do to not just survive, but also to thrive? Yeah, such a great question. And this is what I kind of think about all the time, pandemic or not. What I would say is that I appreciate the stereotype of post-secondary being kind of titanic in its capacity to change or adapt, but that's not been my experience at Sheridan. Sheridan has been disrupting post-secondary education for 50 years through creativity and innovation. And if anybody wants examples of that, you know, check out the history of our animation program, our athletic therapy. We had the first cybersecurity degree in the country, our certificate in creativity or our business programs, which are really grounded in creativity and creative problem solving. Where I think education and frankly, our societies need to go is a focus on access. So I believe in the transformative power of post-secondary education. I've seen it myself. The research affirms this, that attending a college or university has a transformational impact on learners, but that doesn't happen in the absence of people having access to it. And so how are we now talking with much of the inequity in our society born bare or born transparent by the pandemic? How are we talking about access? How are we talking about inclusivity? In the middle of the pandemic, we have yet another reckoning on race in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd Our accountability for ensuring that our programming and that our communities are grounded in the principles of equity, diversity, and inclusivity, 
I don't think has ever been more clear. And so we need to be thinking about our programming choices, our scheduling, our flexibility, the modalities that we deliver material in. The key, I think, for all industries is to stay true to what you know works, in our case, what drives student outcomes. And for us, that's industry-informed programming, progressive curriculum, engaging pedagogies, an unrelenting commitment to quality, quality, quality. But you need to combine what you've always, what you've been known for and what your culture has long embraced and what you've learned through COVID. And I think that's going to be the ticket to excelling and to the point of your question, really flourishing in the aftermath of this, you know, long, lengthy crisis. Yeah. Very clearly, your passion for this shows through. (laughs) I'm amazed and I'm very impressed with what your message is. Can we go back? I'm sitting here just the same as you, Al. I'm I'm very impressed. And I want to talk offline with Janet because I think there's a lot that we can learn. And hopefully the listeners or our audience is going to get a lot of it. I know they're going to get a lot of value out of this. But can we go back when we talked about the Forbes list? Because you're on number 14 this year. But I think it's important to recognize, where were you last year? Oh, 87. Okay. So how do you go from 87 to 14 in a year like we just had? Because I, I think our audience and me really selfishly, I want to hear how that happens. Well, you know, what I'd speak to more broadly is we do know all of us as leaders intuitively, but the data is also very clear about what drives employee engagement, right? So this didn't happen instantaneously and it didn't happen in a vacuum. We have been working diligently at cultivating employee engagement for a long time. It does help that our mission excites and engages people. If you believe, as I think every employee at post-secondary institutions across the country should believe that you're involved in human transformation, that's pretty awesome. And it's a reason to get out of bed. It's a reason to go to work every day. If you believe your colleagues are similarly invested in that, it's exciting, it's compelling. I think what Sheridan has focused more specifically on over the last few years is a shared sense of purpose at a more granular level. So we believe as a community that we deliver a galvanizing education for a complex world. So we were able to really bring people into one tent on what that meant, that learners need a skill set and a list of competencies to be effective in the world, that we're committed to diversity, equity, inclusivity, and that we will ensure that learners who have engaged with and graduated from Sheridan are positioned for success. So there's lots of energy around there. And that particular driver we've just gone at relentlessly over the last few years. And to my community's tremendous credit, that was actually what we focused on, not the Forbes list, of course, not, you know, the the broader context of employee engagement, but we were pretty micro-focused on getting everybody in the same tent, on the same page, excited about our role in the world. And I think that's driven all kinds of outcomes. And it's frankly inoculated us against some of the most horrid impacts of COVID. On this show, we we talk a lot about what makes you successful, what makes the organization successful. You've shared a lot of ideas with us today, but I think it's important to share with other business leaders and especially younger business leaders that are coming into entrepreneurship or running a company. What do you do in your off time? Because, you know, we can't, and, and again, it's harder now work from home to have that separation unless yeah. you got a great day and knocking down your backdrop. But how do you have that separation between work and work-life balance? So when you're not working and going from 80, 87 to number 14 on the Forbes list, what do you do in your downtime, Dunwine? Yeah. So like many of the people listening, no doubt, I parent, which, you know, some days is a full-time job plus. <laughs> and sometimes, so I have a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old in the house. 
and the Great Dane. My partner and I are really committed to fitness and well-being. So I work out every day. I work out every morning. So when I talk about staying attuned to your audience and the people you serve, I used to work out on campus every day before school with an athletic trainer who was one of our students. It got me in the gym and students will say anything in the gym. They would never say somewhere else. And so sometimes you're horrified because you're like, please don't tell me that. Please don't. But it's a great way to stay in touch with the community. I walk a lot during COVID and I think being outside, the nicer weather will help, but I am a firm believer in the connection between nature and positive mental health and well-being. And, you know, I think that piece of the puzzle for me, that's my me time. I've been trying to read more, not really happening. So I like power read. I don't know about you guys, but when I get into a book, then I have to read the book. And then that's all I do for a few days. And then I'm stressed out because that's what I've been doing for a few days. We've been consuming content on multiple platforms. You know, Sheridan grads do amazing things. They win Oscars and they win Emmys and People's Choice Awards. So I have to consume all of that content because I'm a leader. I, have to, I have to consume the content. But I, I do think the key to both my physical and my mental well-being is my commitment to physical activity and to walking, walking. And, you know, just to your point about not reading, because I'm I'm an avid reader and I love reading. And it's funny, I usually have a couple of books going at once because one I'll have on an audio book that yeah. I can listen to. And the other is, you know, an old school uh, paper book. But for people, you know, Al had told me that he said, no, I don't really enjoy reading. And I said, well, what about podcasts? What about audio books? Yeah. And if you're walking that much, Janet, I'm thinking you would be into podcasts. And one I can recommend very strongly, one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to is starting with one with Robin and Al. Ah, <laughs> excellent tip. You know, if, if I'm allowed to just relentlessly, unabashedly advocate for Sheridan and push, I will happily take that podcast recommendation and action it. It's awesome. That's for great. sure. Perfect. Yeah. Great. So I could I could sit here for a lot longer and listen to you talk because again I'm I'm enthralled with your message. But uh, I'm going to ask you one final question: Anything small that made a big difference for your success? That's a quick question, but not an easy one. You know what I am going to say. So we are in the middle of International Women's Month, and by way of context, I have three brothers. My dad was my absolute biggest champion. He passed away in September. And I would just say that as a female leader in a sector where most of my colleagues are male and older than me, but male, the unwavering belief in my capacity that I was surrounded by early and then through mentorship throughout my career, I continue to access mentors. Uh, but that's really been the theme of my International Women's Month experience for 2021 is that every young person just really genuinely deserves to have people in their corner. And I think I'm a white woman of privilege whose formative experiences uh, really positioned me for success. But in that midst, the fact that I had people telling me that my capacity was infinite and that if I really wanted to change the world, I could do it. That's what I owe my own kids. And I suspect uh, what lots of your listeners try to do every day for theirs. So I think that's the big one probably right now. A great answer. And you're the third person today to have mentioned having a mentor, having you know someone in your corner to, to yep. help coach you. So yeah, obviously it's something that uh, is very important. Yeah. And if you have leaders listening today, a, a reminder that your network is a reflection of your privilege. 
It's who you went to school with. It's who you knew as a function of your geography. And so every single one of us is accountable for opening up our network to people who wouldn't otherwise have access to that. That's the same as holding space or giving people a seat at the table. Your network is a lot more valuable than we often think it is. Awesome message. This has been awesome. I could do this all afternoon as well. We have to wrap up the podcast. Janet, we'll we'll talk a little more offline. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Sheridan? So certainly you can access Sheridan at sheridancollege.ca and learn all about the great things that are happening on our campuses. Three campuses, Mississauga, Oakville, and Brampton with multidisciplinary programming. But if you want to reach me, it's president at sheridancollege.ca and I'd welcome input feedback to build my network. Okay, awesome. Well, that does it for today's episode. Folks, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation or on LinkedIn or once in a while Clubhouse, we're on there as well. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one.